You're listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Here's your host, Ed Yonka, Director of Communications and Public Policy. Voting rights, police reform, measures to protect LGBTQ rights, protecting reproductive freedom, protecting personal privacy from government surveillance. All of these issues are being debated right now. But while you might think that I am talking about the work in Congress that we read about each day in the news, I am not. I'm talking about the work being done in the state capitol in Springfield that define these protections in our state. Our federal constitution protects basic rights, and Congress often creates a floor, a baseline of rights beneath which no state or municipal government can fall. But it's important to remember that that is not the ceiling. When it comes to protecting basic rights and freedom, the states each individually set that ceiling for themselves. Today, we want to talk about the work in Springfield and how that work gets done. And most critically, we're going to talk about the role that each one of us can play in the process of advancing civil liberties and passing laws in our state capitol. Joining me for the conversation today is Chelsea Diaz, an advocacy associate with the ACLU of Illinois. Chelsea, welcome to Talking Liberties. Thank you so much for having me, Ed. I'm excited to be here today. So I think a lot of people don't know about the work that's being done in in Springfield. It's a long way off. Sometimes it seems like it gets overwhelmed by the talk of politics and governance at the federal level. So I wonder if you could just start out by, by just talking about why what happens there is important for the listeners to know and why they should be thinking about ways to join us in this advocacy. To be honest, I was one of those people up until through college. And then I got my first policy job working at the state level. And as you said, it's just the floor. It's the bare minimum. And we have the power in our own states to make that ceiling as high as we want and to really get the protections and the type of society we want in our state. The ACLU Illinois is really proud of one example that we've done recently. And at the federal level, in regards to abortion rights, there's the Hyde Amendment. And so government insurance says that they will not cover abortion care unless it is a result of rape or incest. But in 2017 in Illinois, we were able to expand on that right and access to abortion care. And at the state level, we passed HB 40. And what HB 40 did was say that Illinois Medicaid, our public insurance program, will cover abortion care for any reason, as long as you're having that conversation with your doctor to decide what care is best for you. And that was a huge expansion and gave um, insurance coverage for so many people in Illinois to access the care they need. And so that's a really great example of really the federal government, again, setting that bare minimum and us taking control and using the power in our state to expand that. And we've also seen the opposite happen in other states. You know, in the current moment we're in, we're seeing a range of anti-trans legislation at the state level that is really harmful to young folks. And Folks in those states are rising up, they're reaching out to their state legislators, to their governors, and to be honest, that may be their first time that they know who those state legislators and governors are, but they're realizing the power they have. It's, it's interesting that you talk about the Hyde Amendment, you talk about what a big thing HB 40 was, is, is, you know, I mean, for those who are younger may not remember, Henry Hyde was a member of Congress from Illinois. The amendment is still named after him, 
And yet here in his home state, we overrode that and created something, you know, that really allowed anybody to use their insurance to pay for critical reproductive health care, including abortion care. Yes, exactly. I think that highlights the importance. States and populations change, and then our laws and our state need to reflect that. And sometimes the federal government can't keep up. And so we need to hold our states accountable. All right. So let me tell you my own, let me tell you, get personal here for just a minute and tell you my own experience. I often go, as you probably know, out to speak to groups about different issues, including our state issues. And when I'm out speaking, I'll often ask, who's your state senator? And you want to know the answer I most often get? Dick sure. Durbin and Tammy Duckworth. Or, you know, I ask who your rep is and I hear Jan Schakowsky or Mike Quigley or fill in the blank. So I wonder if let's just set the baseline here and talk a little bit about what the structure is in terms of state legislation, uh, how it, you know, how that works. And then also, you know, how people can find out this basic information about who represents them. Yeah, definitely. I am in the same boat when I give my advocacy 101 presentations and I have folks look them up. What's helpful for folks is that the state government really mirrors the, the structure of the federal government. And so at the federal level, we, we are familiar with the presidency and then you have your Senate and your House of Representatives. And so the way it works at the state level is that you have your governor, which is very similar to the presidency in regards to the state. So they're the executive in charge of the state. And then you also have those two branches of government. They're named exactly the same, except you put state in front of them. So you have your state House of Representatives and your state senators, and you get one representative and one senator for your district. And I will acknowledge there's a slight difference in that we have 59 senators for our districts throughout the state, whereas you only have two for the state as a whole. And so everyone does have their own individual center as opposed to sharing them. If somebody listening to this says, hey, you know what? I really do want to get involved in this. Where do I go to find out who my state senator is? Yes. Yeah, so there is a website on the State Board of Elections and the ACLU of Illinois has made it easy by creating a short link for you to find that information. And so if you go to aclu-il.org backslash find your reps, that'll take you to that website and then it'll list your entire list of elected officials. And again, you want to look out for those state titles. So you want to look for your state representative and your state senator. A pro tip is that if you're looking at their contact information, they're going to have two offices and one of them is going to be in Springfield, Illinois, again, our capital. If you're looking at Dick Durbin or Jan Schakowsky, they will be in DC. That's not where we want to be. Our, our happenings at the state level are in Springfield. And you know what? I want to come back later when you talk about the offices that state legislators have about which one is the best one to contact. Okay, so we got the players down. We know we've got our scorecard filled out. I know who my reps are. So tell me a little bit about the process. Again, it's murky. It's hundreds of miles away, and I may never have known anything about Springfield. How does a bill become a law in Illinois? Yeah, and, and we can take it back schoolhouse rock style. If folks can remember, I remember that. That's how I explain it to my parents um, when I tell them what I do. And so, yeah, how a bill becomes a law. I think the first thing to know is that legislators will introduce their own legislation if they want based on issues that they're hearing. But you, as as a citizen are always encouraged if you have a problem to contact your legislator and possibly work on a solution. And so, you know, once you've identified that problem and that solution, the first thing is you introduce your bill in the General Assembly. And I mentioned there are two chambers. And so you can introduce a bill in the House or the Senate, or you can introduce a bill in both chambers. And that just more depends on your political strategy 
you know, maybe you have more allies in one chamber than the other, and you can get those votes faster. And so that's something you'd want to think about. But the first step is just simply introducing the bill in the chamber and working with the legislator who is willing to champion the issue that you care about. And so then the bill, once it's it's introduced, it gets assigned to a committee? Yes, exactly. So it gets assigned to a committee based on the issue area of the bill. So for example, the ACLU works on a lot of criminal justice issues. And so we always find ourselves in the criminal law committee in the Senate and the Judiciary Criminal Committee in the House. Once that bill goes to committee, again, it's reflective of the issue area of the bill. And that's a great place where folks are able to take action. When the bill is in committee, that means that legislators are, you know, a small group of selected legislators are sitting down and hearing the nitty gritty of the bill. And so advocates such as myself or activists are, that's a time where you can give testimony in support of the bill and lay out the reasons why you support it. And then there's also a way for folks on the ground to engage, even if they aren't able to go to Springfield as well. What's the process for people becoming involved in that way? That's what we call um, a witness slip. And a witness slip is a really great, easy way to make your voice heard in Springfield. A witness slip is an electronic form that you fill out online for the specific bill that you either want to support, oppose, or take no position on. And so you fill out that form, you give a little bit of background information about yourself, you know, your name, your address, if you have any affiliation, but to be clear, you don't need to be affiliated with an organization to file a witness slip. Anybody can file a witness slip. And then again, you, you indicate in that little box that says either you support a bill, oppose, or take no position. And at times the ACLU will have calls of action to support bills that we're working on or even to oppose, or as we say, kill bills that, you know, may not be what's what we think is best for Illinois. Legislators at the beginning of committee hearings, when they're talking about that specific bill, they'll call out the witness slips. They'll say, hey, we have a thousand witness slips in support of the bill. And that's a signal to legislators where the public stands. What's the website that people can go to in order to fill out that witness slip? So you'll go to my.ilga. And that's a specific website for committee hearings where it lists all of the bills, and that's where you can indicate your position. Okay, so we have this committee hearing, people testify, uh, their witness slips are read out, and that, or, or at least acknowledged in terms of there's a thousand on one side and one on the other, or however that works out. Let's hope it always works out that way on our side. And then the committee takes a vote. Let's presume for the sake of our bill that we're schoolhouse rocking through the Illinois General Assembly, that that bill passes out of committee. What happens next? Yep. And so I do want to be clear, it does, it will need to pass out with the majority of votes. And so, you know, fingers crossed that we get that. Next, it will go to the floor of the chamber that it's in. Again, it can be introduced in the House or Senate, doesn't matter where you start. And when it gets to the floor, that's when it can be called for a full vote. And so in the House, you need 60 votes to get a bill passed out. And in the Senate, you need 30 votes. And when that bill gets to the floor, those legislators, you know, it may not be called right away. And so after the bill gets out of committee, you've submitted your witness slip. That doesn't mean your work is done. When the bill gets on the floor, that's an excellent time to reach out to your legislator and ask them to support the bill to ensure that they're going to vote the way you want them to on that floor. So I reach out to the person or somebody reaches out to their member, the member votes, and our bill gets 62 votes. Let's say whatever bill we're talking about, we get 62 votes in the Illinois House, so we're out of the House. So it just goes to the governor then, or what happens next? 
Well, then it'll go to the Senate. And I loved how you said 62 because we love we love some buffer votes. <laughs> <laughs> I may have learned that over the years. <laughs> and so then it would, in this, in this example, it would go to the Senate and, you know, vice versa, depending what chamber it went to. And then it repeats the same process. So it goes to committee and it goes to the floor and keeping in mind, you know, when it's in committee, you want to file your witness slip. And when it's on the floor, you want to reach out to your legislators. But I will say that if there's any changes to the bill, in the other chamber, they'll have to make amendments and it may have to go back for approval. Does the, there's a bill, if you, if you file a witness slip in the house and the bill goes over to your Senate, does your witness slip go or do you need to file another one? You need to file another one. So thank you okay. for that because you always want to make sure you're filing it for each respective committee. And also I presume that if the bill gets out of committee and whatever the second chamber is and it goes to the floor, once again, that's a good time to reach out to that member, whomever your member is in that chamber, to encourage them to support the measure or oppose it, depending on whatever it is that you're, you're really looking for. Yes, definitely. Let's say our pretend bill here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use your buffer. We get 33 votes in the, in the Senate. So we're, we're really looking good. And it's now passed. There are no amendments. The bill then, is that when the bill goes to the governor for sig his signature? Is that like the president? Is that what happens? Yes, exactly. So we've passed both chambers and it heads to the governor's desk for ideally, you know, in our perfect world as we're talking about, for him to sign it straight away. The governor doesn't come to the floor and sign a bill ever. Is that, that doesn't happen, does it? No, he has his own desk and office and he gets to sign it out. Oh, okay. Our bill gets to the governor's desk. You said he's got his own desk and he can sign it. What if he doesn't sign it? Yeah, so there's actually a couple of options the governor has in addition to signing the bill. The other option that is, I think, commonly known is the veto. And so if the governor doesn't like the bill, he doesn't think it should be law, he can veto that, which means he disagrees and he says, no, I don't want this to become law. Another option he has is called an amendatory veto. And what he can say is, I like some parts of the bill. I don't like other parts. I want to make edits or just take some parts out. And then whether he vetoes or amendatory vetoes, the General Assembly has some options that they could take. If they disagree with the governor and still want that bill to become law, they can override his amendatory or regular veto with a two-thirds majority vote. And so that's 67 votes in the House and 36 votes in the Senate. Or in regards to the amendatory veto, they can take a regular vote with that 60-30 I mentioned earlier and accept his amendatory veto and let it become law. A difference I do wanna note that's the opposite of what happens at the federal level is in regards to what folks may have learned again in that Schoolhouse Rock is a pocket veto. Yes. So if you're the president of the United States, you can have a pocket veto. And after a certain amount of time, I believe it's 30 days, if the president doesn't take action, the bill does not become law. It's pocketed, it's, it's off the table. The opposite is true in Illinois. If the governor of Illinois chooses not to take action on a bill, and I believe it's 60 days, then the bill would become law. And Even so, without the governor's signature, it becomes law. Yes, exactly. And so in Illinois, we have a different structure. And as you can imagine, that gives the governor a little bit more sense of urgency to take actions on legislation. It's, it really is interesting that the more modern constitution reversed that process and allowed the bill to become law if the executive doesn't sign it as compared to the federal system. Yeah, right. And it, it, it puts a sense of pressure on the governor, right? And a sense of accountability, too. Yeah, that's right. And I, I suspect that's what they were looking for when they created the Illinois Constitution in the 70s. So 
one of the things we've talked about throughout this process, reaching out to the member in both chambers that represents you and letting them know that you support, you oppose, you know, whatever you feel about a particular bill. Talk a little bit about the importance of that. And then about what are some of the best ways to do that? I think that's the other thing I think people probably feel is a little bit of a barrier is they don't quite know what to do. The way I like to frame it is in terms of civic engagement, voting is your first step. It's not your last step. After you vote for that person and whether that person you voted for comes into office or not, your next step is to continue to pay attention and hold them accountable or work with them to make the changes that you'd like to see. And so it's really important. Legislators are, believe it or not, they're eager to hear from their constituents. They always want to hear from their constituents. That's something we hear when we're in Springfield lobbying. Um, I haven't heard from any of my constituents on this issue, so it must not be a problem. Or I have heard about from my constituents about this issue, so I'm definitely going to vote yes. And you, we see that power all the time. And so it's very important to, to making sure you're not just voting, but making your voice heard beyond the ballot box and staying engaged with your local legislators. Because as we talked about earlier, it's such a great avenue to effectuate change. There's a wide variety of ways to do that, depending on your comfort level. And then you can build up your comfort level as you get more confident. Because again, you also can build relationships with your legislators. They're humans. They want to work with you. They know they represent you and they want to have that relationship. And so I think a good place to start if you're nervous or perhaps a little apprehensive is shooting their office an email or giving them a quick call. What legislators always have their website. And if you want to just peek at their website, get a sense of themselves and their issues, and then give them a call or shoot them an email. If you have an issue that you want to talk to them about, that's a great way to do it. You can also just simply say, hey, I'm a constituent, and you can ask for more information, too. What are the issues that you're working on? What are the bills you have this session? And so if you already feel like you have an issue you want to take action on, you can do that. If you want to learn more information, they're also a resource for that, too. So I would definitely suggest calling or emailing to get you started and get you comfortable, but then you can take it to the next level. And what that next level looks like is setting up an in-district visit. That's a really common thing for legislators to do is to meet in their offices or these days virtually via Zoom with constituents and hear their concerns, hear what issues they want that legislator to champion. They're very much interested, again, in hearing from you. And I think a good compromise of both of those things would be legislator events. So legislator events are a great way to find out what your legislator is working on and get your voice heard. A pro tip would be to sign up for their listservs, again, via their websites. Almost all legislators have websites and they have listservs and they'll share with you events. Some of the events will simply be open house town hall. Let's talk about the issues that my community cares about. Or they'll be on specific issues. And if you care about that issue or have concerns about that issue, that's a great avenue to, you know, get that legislator in the place. You don't have to set up an appointment. They're already there and have that interaction with them. Yeah. So if I was someone who perhaps might be intimidated by making the phone call or by having a one-on-one -on -one meeting, I could go to one of these events where other people are going to be asking questions and I could raise my question about the issue that I was really most interested in or that I had a concern about. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a great, a great practice, if you will, where you're not directly put on the spot, but you're able to engage in that way. And something I think about too with events is maybe you really care about a certain issue and you find out that someone asks a really similar question to that issue. And that's a way to build allies in that district and then maybe work together. Maybe you're really nervous, but you found this great ally. And so you're going to work together and maybe schedule your in-district visit. And so it's a great way to build community as well. So one of the things I think, let's just try to, I mean, maybe to allay a little bit of fear that people might have or 
hesitancy about this as well. You know, you talked about how legislators are quite often really interested in hearing that feedback from from constituents. And I wonder if you can talk about that a little bit, because I think sometimes with a state legislator, am I going to have to deal with a lot of staff or a lot of people? What is that process ultimately going to be like? So I will say legislators, you know, they have a district office and they have a Springfield office. And in most cases, you're going to be reaching out to their district office. And the point of that office is to serve their district. They want to be responsive to their constituents' concerns and their needs. And I think in my in my experience, there's usually a, the same staffer who's answering the phones or the emails, and they're that conduit to the legislators. And they can be your best friend, right? They're the ones who are going to give you that key. That maybe if the legislator's really busy, but you've been calling and emailing, and you've been respectful and polite and persistent, they may be able to help. Definitely working with staff and having a good relationship with staff is a way to navigate getting a hold of legislators. And again, always wanting to start off with our district office because, again, their main priority is to serve the constituents. And I think one of the other issues I wonder about, and I'm sure there's someone listening to us who will ask, how much of an expert do I need to be about an issue before I reach out to the legislator? Are they going to ask me a bunch of questions about the issue in a way that I might not have the answers? And what if I don't have the answers to a question that they do ask me? Yeah, that's a great question. I also get that question all the time. And no, I want to be clear, no, you do not have to be an expert. What you do have to know is you have to know about why you care about that issue, your personal reasons for caring about that issue. That's what legislators want to hear. They don't expect you to come in and know every single thing there is to know about the issue that you're talking about. But what can be really powerful when communicating with legislators is sharing your personal story and why that issue matters to you. Don't get me wrong, facts and, facts and figures help, but you don't have to be an encyclopedia. And I think one of the golden rules when engaging with legislators is it's okay to say you don't know something, but you always want to follow up and try your best to get them the information that they're asking for, whether that be through your own research or contacting allies that you may have, or organizations that, that have that information. So no, you don't have to be an expert. It's okay to say that you don't know something, but you should try your best to follow up and get that information for the legislator. Can I ask you just to tease out a little bit that notion of a personal narrative? Because, because I think people sometimes lose sight of the fact that the impact that that can have. I think, yeah, quite the opposite happens. People get, they want all of those facts and figures. Legislators are human beings. And I say it in that way because that was, they used to be very intimidating to me (laughs) until I realized they were simply human beings. And so everyone appreciates a human face to a story and to an issue. And so when you're sharing why something is important to you, you know, whether that be through a personal experience you've had or the personal experience of someone close to you, it really illustrates the nuances of that issue to the legislator and gets across to them the importance of it. Because if you're just giving them facts and figures, that's much easier to write off than saying, hey, I've lived this experience or someone close to me has lived this experience. It's real, it's happening, and this is what I want you to do about it. Yeah, and in some ways you you are an expert in a way you never really understand that you are. Yes, I love telling people that experience is expertise. You touched a little bit on, you know, like finding allies maybe in that public space earlier. I do want to just ask, if I care about an issue, and and, and even taking it outside of the realm of civil liberties and civil rights, if I care about an environmental issue or or those things, how do I find those allies if if I really want to work on something in Springfield? What is my, you know, what's the path to be able to do that? The good thing is there's a lot of 
people and organizations who are already doing the work and you don't need to recreate the wheel. It's always great to find organizations that align with the values and the issues that you care about and see what resources or tools they may have on their website. Maybe they have fact sheets or other types of information that can help you in those meetings, again, so that you can provide those facts and figures and then follow up with your personal story. Maybe they have lobby days or call-in days to action that you can participate in. And to be clear, a lobby day is when you go down to Springfield in the Capitol. Again, this was during the before times of the current moment. And then you would bring a large group to Springfield and um, lobby legislators throughout the Capitol because they're all there. And then also ideally, you know, wear some type of indicator that you're there in a group to show your strength and support for an issue. And so there's plenty of organizations that are already doing the work and that they want folks to be plugged into. And they're happy to give you information, resources, you can follow them on social media, even shoot them a quick email and you can say, hey, what are you working on? Are there ways to plug in? And so there's plenty of options and resources. You just got to um, keep an eye out. Wow. I, I actually remember being in those crowds in Springfield on different lobby days. I, I'm sure we one day will go back to something like one that. <laughs> so I wonder before we go, if you could just one more time kind of underscore why the, the voice of a constituent is important. Because I think sometimes people have a tendency to get a little cynical and just think it doesn't matter. I'm not going to change things. I'm not going to really be able to make a difference. I hear that frustration and I've seen that. And I think most folks who feel that way have also engaged at the federal level as well. And that is a really easy place to get lost in the madness. We have all 50 states, we have the entire population of the US, but that's something that's really beautiful about local and state level advocacy is that it really touches close to home. And it's very specific to the issues that we care about. And the legislators are not just representing the entire state, they're representing a small district among the state. And so you have a closer relationship to make your voice heard. And as I said earlier, we hear from legislators all the time. They want to hear from their constituents. And if they don't, that's an indicator to them that that issue may not be important. And so if they're not hearing from you, then that issue may not be on their radar. And so again, this local level advocacy is a really great place to make sure that your voice is heard. The representatives are representing smaller groups of people, and they really take that power with them to Springfield, whether they're hearing on specific issues or not. And I think about a legislator on the floor about to vote on an issue. If they there's a human story that they can think about where they're protecting, kind of making change for a neighbor or for a constituent, that that seems much more powerful. Yes, it really does. And they're able, again, by you reaching out, using your voice, sharing your stories, they're able to bring that those experiences with them to Springfield and inform the way they vote on legislation, the legislation that they themselves bring to the floor to be voted on. It can be really powerful. And it really is the power of the public to make that change. Yes, I love to tell people, again, I said, you know, voting is just the first step. Keep in mind, your elected officials work for you. Don't forget that. Well, Chelsea, I really want to thank you so much for joining us and for sharing all of this really great information. Thank you so much. I hope folks take this information, find their legislators, and reach out to them. If you want more information about making your voice heard in Springfield, you can find a lot of the information that we discussed today on our website at www.aclu.org under legislative resources. Again, go to www.aclu-il.org and look under legislative resources and you'll get a lot of this information. Thank you for listening to Talking Liberties. 
We appreciate you joining us. Talking Liberties is produced by Max Bever. Our content supervisor is Kimberly Koziel. Our executive director is Colleen Connell. You can subscribe to this podcast and rate us. If you have a specific question, feel free to email us at talkingliberties, all one word, at aclu-il.org. And we will be back very soon to talk about specific issues on our agenda for the 2021 legislative session in Springfield. Thanks and have a great day.